Appreciate that good thing. I guess I will. Amen. All right. 30, number 39, isn't it good to be in the Lord's house? Amen. All right, Genesis chapter 39, and we're just going to get on in the reading. Got a lot of reading to do in the Word of God tonight. Uh, but let me say what a blessing it is to be with you here. Genesis chapter number 39, let's begin reading in verse number 1. Genesis 39, verse number 1. The Bible says, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. The Lord was with Joseph. He was a prosperous man. He was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him. And he made him overseer over his house. And all that he had, he put into his hand. It came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he knew not aught that he had, save the bread which he did eat. Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. And she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? It came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass as I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me that his wrath was kindled. Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it prosper. Now let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. What a blessing to be in your house, Lord. I want to thank you for these sweet people that are gathered here and those under the sound of my voice that are in the parking lot. I'm thankful for them as well. And God, we've come and we've assembled together and met together here in this place because we desire to hear from you. Pray that the Holy Spirit of God would have free course and liberty tonight to work in our hearts and minds. There would not be anything that hinders Him. Not me, not anyone in the pews, Lord. Nobody's uh, spirit or attitude, Lord. I pray that there would be nothing that hinders Him this evening but that He would have the spotlight, that He would have the 
liberty that he would have the opportunity to magnify Christ and to minister in the hearts of your people. And we'll be sure to thank you for it. Lord, we love you tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul pinned down these words. And he must have been thinking, I believe, about this story of uh, Joseph whenever he, under inspiration of the Holy Ghost, pinned this down. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, Paul said this, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. You know, the Apostle Paul was a student of the Word of God, and surely I, I, I cannot help but think when he uses that phrase, a way to escape. He must have been thinking about Joseph in uh, the house of Potiphar way back in Genesis chapter 39, who escaped from the dangers of temptation, though it cost him his coat, though it cost him his freedom, though it cost him his reputation for the time being, he chose to take the hard road of resisting temptation as opposed to the easy road of succumbing to temptation. When we read what Paul says there, and I want to just share three thoughts with you as a little introduction, we learn three things about temptation. And then we'll go back to Genesis 39 and consider what happened in the life of Joseph. The first thing we notice from what Paul pins down is that temptation is common. He says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Now here's what he's saying. He's saying the things that tempt you and the things that tempt me, they are things that tempt other people as well. I believe it's true. There are certain things that might tempt you that just, I'm sorry, they wouldn't tempt me. Uh, there, you, you may be tempted at times to uh, steal a salad off the shelf at Walmart. Uh, if that's you, I'm sorry, I'll pray for you, but I got no temptation to steal a salad. Now, when I walk by that meat section, amen, I see a big old rib roast sitting there. I ain't going to lie, there's been a time or two I've thought about stuffing it up under my coat and seeing if I could make it out the door before I get tackled. And uh, you may have no interest in that, but it's something that might tempt me. And in all seriousness, we all understand that there might be certain temptations uh, that are pertinent to this person's life, but not pertinent to that person's. But here's the reality of it. There's no temptation we have that there ain't a whole bunch of other folks walking around on God's earth that are tempted by the very same thing. We often like to believe that our temptation is unique. That we are being, uh, we are being accosted and assaulted by temptations that no one else experiences. But I got news for you. Other people are tempted by what we are tempted by. Let me go a step further. Others get victory over that temptation. And that means you and I can also get victory over that temptation in our life. So temptation is common. The second thing I noticed, Paul goes on to say, but God is faithful. Boy, we can stop there and shout, couldn't we? God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. That tells me this, that temptation is common, but it also tells me that temptation is controlled. What I mean by that is this, God knows how much temptation you or I could suffer and could bear up under, and God will never put us in a situation uh, where it is beyond our power to resist temptation. Uh, I know, old Flip Wilson, you say the devil made me do it. But here's the truth. The devil ain't never made nobody do nothing. Uh, we choose to do what's wrong. We choose to do what is unrighteous. And you have never been put in a situation in your whole life where your only choice was to sin. 
Now you say, well, preacher, it might have cost me this or it might have cost me that. It just about cost Joseph everything. But he recognized the importance of living righteously before God. So he said, if that's what it takes, if that's what it costs, I'll pay that price, but I'm not going to transgress against God. So your temptation and my temptation, we've never been in the situation where the only choice is to sin. And so what does that leave us with? Well, he goes on to say this, but will with the temptation, God will with the temptation, also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. God will always give you a fire escape in the midst of your temptation. He'll always give you an escape hatch, a way to walk away. Ain't nobody ever been faced uh, with sin that didn't have a way to walk away. Now that way of walking away might have really been no walking away at all uh, as far as humanly speaking. It might have cost a person their life. might have cost them their livelihood. But God has never put you right in a position where all we can do is sin. The truth is we can get victory over our temptation. Now, I'm not talking about living perfectly and sinlessly in this world. Even if we have victory, we still are going to at times make poor decisions. We at times are going to make mistakes and we're going to do things wrong. But I'm saying that what it is that tempts us in our life, and you know most of us probably only have a handful of things that tempt us readily and regularly. We may be tempted by a myriad of things, but we have besetting sins, things that particularly appeal to us. And I'm glad to report to you tonight we can get victory in those things. We don't have to live beholden to those things. I'm not saying you're ever going to be perfect until you get a glorified body, but I am saying you don't have to live as a slave to those temptations. Now, let's think about what Joseph experienced. Because I think that uh, Joseph's life, and this episode in particular, is a fit illustration of the truth that Paul is talking about. Uh, Joseph had a way to escape. And let's consider what happened in his life. And I want you to notice just about four things, and we'll be done tonight. Of course, those four things each have 18 things that have to be noticed, so don't get nervous. And uh, I want you to notice a few things from our text this evening. <laughs> you like that, Brother Ken. I like you. All right. The first thing I want us to notice is the place of temptation. And you say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, look in our text back in Genesis chapter 39. And let's notice where Joseph was in his life when temptation came. And I think it will help us to recognize when temptation will show up in our life. How many of you know this to be true? Hey, listen, in, in our life, temptation is always lurking about. We need to be sober and be vigilant, as Peter said. So how did it come to Joseph? What was going on in his life? Was he living in sin when temptation came? No, he wasn't. Was he? Had he done something wrong? Had he messed up? No, we don't read that. But we do notice this. Look at verse number 1 of our text. The Bible says, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites which had brought him down thither. Now, if you know the life of Joseph, you know exactly what's happened. His brethren envied him. They despised him and hated him. They took him and they were going to kill him. But uh, one of the brothers uh, talked them out of, of doing so. Reuben talked them out of, of killing Joseph and said, instead, why don't we just take him and, and sell him into slavery into the hands of the Ishmaelites and then he'll be out of our life forever and we'll never have to deal with him. I'd say this, on the scale of bad days that a man could have, Joseph had probably had one of his worst. His life has gone from the, the privileged and beloved and chosen son of a wealthy man, well situated in ancient life, to being that of a common slave, not worth more than uh, what uh, work and what labor can be squeezed from him until he perishes under the weight of it. His life had completely fallen to pieces. And it's a reminder to me that temptation comes to us in the place of suffering. 
Uh, you know, we have funny ideas about suffering sometimes. Uh, sometimes we'll have the notion that suffering sanctifies. Now I'll tell you this, if we'll seek Christ in the midst of our suffering, it's true that suffering can have a perfecting influence in our life. But just because we're going through suffering, that don't mean we're necessarily going to come out more righteous than when we went in. We have a choice to make as to how we're going to face the suffering that we experience. And you say, preacher, I, listen, I'm going through a rough time. I'm going through a hard time. I mean, you don't understand what I'm going through. I do understand this. Even in those moments, the devil ain't going to take a break away from you just because you're having a hard time. He's not going to come up and say, well, I'm going to leave Fred alone. Fred had a bad day. Instead, he's going to say, Fred had a bad day. It might be a good time to get after it. He's not going to come along and say, hey, listen, tragedy befell these people. I'm just going to, I'm going to leave them alone. I'm going to give them a break. That would only be sporting and fair. The devil don't work that way. Even in the midst of suffering, temptation will come. And I would say often in the midst of suffering, temptation will come. Most of the time when we're going through a hard time, we'll be a little easier on ourselves, won't we? We'll give ourselves a little bit of grace that we maybe otherwise would not give us. And I think that at this moment in Joseph's life, uh, it, it would have been easy for him to say, you know, it ain't fair that I've been been thrust in this position. It's not fair that my life has fallen apart. And if I want to indulge in a little unrighteousness, that ought to be my lot and that ought to be my right. But you know, the truth is we never have a right to sin. We never have a right to sin. Uh, we, we never look at God and say, this is only fair that I do wrong, that I do unrighteously. It's always unjust to sin. We never have a right to it. So I see in the place of suffering. And when we're going through a difficult time, you better believe the devil will do all that he can to try to trip us up and to try to bring sin into our life. And often in those moments, he could bury us if we allow him to do so. But then notice verse number 2. It wasn't just a time of suffering. The Bible says in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Now what you say, wait a minute, preacher. I thought he was having a rough time. He sure enough was. He had been sold into slavery. But a little period of time passes between that moment and the later portion of the chapter. And the Bible tells us that God began to bless what Joseph did. And of course, he's still a slave. He's still at a lower station than he would have been before. But the Bible tells us that because of the hand of God upon him, that Potiphar began to favor him and begin to give him privilege and begin to give him responsibility. And I'd say this, if a man's been made a slave like Joseph has, he sure made the best of it of anybody that I've ever seen. He said, here I am and I didn't choose to be here. Uh, but God ain't surprised that I'm here, so I'm going to serve Him and I'm going to live for Him and I'm going to do everything I can just try to let God show through me. And you know, God prospered him. Uh, God made him the Bible. I mean, that's, that's, that's your King James Bible word right there. It says he was prosperous. Man, I don't understand everything about that, uh, but I do know he was both still a slave, still a servant, but evidently he was now a well-to-do servant. I would notice this, that temptation comes to us not only in the place of suffering, but also in the place of success. Joseph's doing well at what his hand has been set to do. You know, very often when we grow to a place of success, and particularly, listen now, spiritual success, when things have been going good, we sort of get convinced that they ain't never going to go bad. Uh, when things are going well, we just sort of get the idea that, man, I mean, listen, we're on the downhill slope now. It's all easy sailing at this point. But you know, often that's when we let down our guard, and that's when Satan can get the greatest foothold in our life. It was at a place where 
Joseph was successful. Things had been going well, relatively speaking, in the recent days of his life. Yes, he had been suffering. Yes, he had been degraded. Yes, uh, he had been knocked down to a place of servitude. But in that place, he had trusted God. And God had, for his situation, made something greater out of it than Joseph ever could. And, you know, Joseph could have thought to himself, you know, I'm doing so well. I've trusted God. I've honored God. Surely I'm not the type of person that would fall in sin. And the moment, by the way, you know, when Paul writes that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that we read a little earlier and preached about, you know, uh, the, the verse right before verse 12, you know what he says? Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. The context of that is pride going before destruction. The fact that when we're exalted and puffed up, lifted up, think it'll never be us, that's the moment when it's about to be us. But I would say in a place of success. Look at verse 4. The Bible says this, Joseph found grace in his sight and served him. He served him. And he made him overseer over his house and all that he had he put into his hand. So Joseph finds that temptation shows up in the place of service. Joseph was not an idle man. By the way, the New Testament uh, instruction that's given as regarded slaves that found themselves in that situation uh, in New Testament days was always that they not despise their masters, but they do all things as unto the Lord, not with eye service as pleasing men, but as unto the Lord. And Joseph did that. Joseph's a man that though he had been, though he had been stolen away, though his life had been wrecked and ravaged, he was a man that committed, if God's put me here, I'm going to serve God the best I can. Man, that's a great testimony, don't you think? Uh, wouldn't it be good? I mean, listen, most of us probably aren't experiencing exactly what Joseph is experiencing here. But, but I would say this, most of us have probably found ourselves in situations that we didn't want to be in. Uh, we found ourselves with health challenges and financial challenges, relationship, family challenges in situations that we don't want to be in. You know what we need to do? We need to do what Joseph did. We need to say, God, I didn't ask to be here. I wish I wasn't here, but you know I'm here. And so I want to try to serve you the best I can while I am here. That's what Joseph did. He served. In serving, he was not serving Potiphar, but he was serving God. He recognized that it was God that had placed him there. So in other words, I don't think it's a stretch even in the slightest to say he is serving God in his life in this passage. You know, sometimes we get to thinking if we're serving God, temptation don't find us. We think that is merely, we've been, we've been taught all growing up that idle hands are, are the devil's playthings and we think if a man just stays busy, he'll never have any kind of problems, spiritually speaking, in his life. i got news for you. I've seen people that's so busy, they needed nine days in a week and still their life blow up because they let sin get in there. And I'm talking about people serving God to that degree. I'm talking about people going all out in serving the Lord and their life fall to pieces. And just because we're serving God, I hope you are serving God. I'll tell you this, you say, well, preacher, you're mean to tell me I could get in trouble if I'm serving God? I mean to tell you you're going to definitely be in trouble if you're not serving God. Just because you are serving God, it don't mean trouble won't find you. And it doesn't mean you won't have to be deliberate. We think, well, I'm serving God now. Nothing can happen in my life. No, friend, you're serving God now. Now the devil has twice the reason to try to destroy your life. So he was in the place of, of service. I would say this, that he was in the place... Well, look down at verse 5. The Bible says this, it came to pass... From the time that he had made him overseer in his house over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. I'd say he was in the place of sovereignty. In other words, he was in the will of God. He wasn't running from the will of God. He was right in the heart of the will of God. 
He wasn't there because he wanted to be. He was there because God put him there. And now that he found himself there, he said, Lord, I'll just be content right where you put me and I'll serve you. I don't know that anybody other than maybe the Lord Jesus himself or Peter at the close of his life could have known with more conviction they were in the heart and will of God than Joseph. So how do you know that, preacher? Because Joseph didn't do a thing to get himself in the position he was in. He was as helpless, he was as harmless an individual as you'll find in all of Scripture. Uh, And he found himself right where he was. He didn't do nothing to bring this upon himself. And no doubt he could say with confidence, I know that I'm in the will of God. You know, often and particularly those that are keenly aware of the importance of being in the will of God, when you seek the will of God, when you pray for the will of God, whether it's in your in your home, who to marry, whether it's in your church, where to serve, whether it's in your job and where to work, whether it's in your home, your house and where to live, whatever it is, I know what it is to be praying and seeking God, begging God and asking God to give you wisdom and to give you direction. And by the way, I know what it is for it to be like the heavens have opened, like the guidance and clear direction of God has been shown into your heart and you have no question that you're doing the will of God. Often in those moments, it's easy to think, well, now that I'm in the will of God, I'm safe. I'm safe. You know, the truth is, ain't nobody ever got out of the will of God that wasn't in the will of God in the first place. You know all those people that we say, man, pray for them, they got out of the will of God. There's in the will of God before they got out of the will of God. All those folks that we say, well, you pray for them, man. They used to be living for God. You know them. You can call them by name. I could too. We know them. And all those people, at one point, there's in the heart and center of the will of God. And that's where temptation found them. Don't think that just because you know you're doing the will of God that you ain't going to have to live every day crucifying the flesh and close to Jesus. The fact is, just because you're in the will of God, that don't mean temptation ain't going to find you. So he was in the place of sovereignty. Then I noticed this, verse 6, and I think this is important. The Bible says, and he left all that he had, Potiphar left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he knew not all he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. You know, Brother Ken, when I read that verse 6, you know what that makes me think of? I'm going to use this word right here. Stewardship. Stewardship. That's what that verse is all about. Stewardship. Joseph was so faithful in his service and in his, in his office that Potiphar said, I don't even have to look at the books. You just take care of everything. I don't have to know what I've got except whatever meal that you sit down in front of me. That's the only interest I have in it. Joseph, I trust you and you are going to be the master of the house in my stead. I'm committing everything to your care. And it was in the place of stewardship that temptation came. You know, here's the truth. You and I as Bible believers, as Christians, as child of God, we all are in a part of a stewardship. We've been entrusted with the things of God, with the truth of God, with the life that God has bestowed upon us. And I just remind you that if the devil, if he can disrupt your life, if he can destroy your life, he hasn't just destroyed you as a Christian, he's destroyed the work of God that was being done in your life that would have been done in the life of others. We read later, and I don't want to get ahead in my in, in my preaching, but later on Joseph talks about uh, how he'd just tear everything up from the floor up if he was to commit this sin. The devil's sharp, man. He's smart. He knows. Hey, he's more subtle than any beast of the field. He knows what he's doing. Why is he going to pick us off one at a time if he can come along and destroy a bunch of lives by destroying one? Listen, I, I th- this is a mantle I wear heavy, man. I and and there's been better men of God that, than me that have got messed up and got broke down and got their life in pieces. But you think it ain't on my mind if I get messed up? How many people it's gonna mess up along with me? 
And I ain't just talking about my wife and my kids, although it would affect them more than anyone, but I'm talking about folks that I'm their preacher and I'm their man of God. I'm the one that they're looking to. And it's on my mind that if I live in sin, if I do wrong, I don't just have to account for my family and certainly not just for myself, but I've got a score of people whose lives and spiritual well-being. I'm not saying it has to be hooked to me, but I'm saying it would affect them. It would affect them. And you know, that's true in your life too. No man's an island unto himself. You've got people that are looking to you and you are in a position of stewardship. And because of that, the devil's going to come looking for you. He's going to try to destroy your life. Because if he can destroy you, think about how many people he can destroy with you. I'll tell you as a pastor, one of the things that grieves me the most, and I've seen people get in church that I never thought get in church. I've seen folks get out of church I would have never thought would have got out of church. You know the thing that always grieves me when I see folks get out of church? I, I, I mean, I, listen, I feel sorry for them and my heart breaks for them, but I always worry about the kids. I worry about their kids, man. Because here's, here's, here's another generation, those little precious babies that are being raised and being given over to the devil and the godless secular world and being taught by the world to hate God and the things of God. And it breaks my heart. Not just for the, not just for those people for the marriage, not just those people for their own personal life, but for those kids. Those kids, they're collateral damage. But let me tell you, in a lot of ways, they're the chief damage that's done. Because then parents may get back in. They got enough about them that they may get back in. But if they raise their kids out of the house of God, chances of their kids ever getting back in is pretty slim. And I've seen it done. You've seen it done. I'm not going to belabor it. But suffice it to say, we're all in a place of stewardship. And the devil's going to try to destroy us. Because in destroying us, he can destroy so many others. So I see the place of temptation. Then I want you to notice the process of temptation. And I just have sort of three simple things to say about this process. Because there's not a lot really to say. I'd say most folks in a Baptist church are familiar enough with temptation without me preaching on how it works. But but just to satisfy the, the, the text, I, I, I'm going to mention it. Notice first off with me how temptation starts. The prompting of it. Verse 7, the Bible says this, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said lie with him. Now there's a lot we could say about that, about the eye gate and about beholding things that are that are inappropriate and this and that, but I just want to make one simple observation here. Uh, Joseph didn't come looking for her. She came looking for him. Uh, we always sort of think if a, if a person falls into temptation, well, they, well, they must have done something to get themselves in that position. Uh, we, we always just sort of imagine if a person falls into temptation, they must have been doing something wrong that led to that. But can I remind you that, that the, the event of temptation itself is never in the Bible described as being iniquitous in and of itself. We are all tempted, every single one of us. And you know, you don't have to go looking for temptation. Temptation come looking for you. In fact, really, I would say this, while we should be never looking for temptation, we should always be looking out for temptation because if we're not looking out for temptation, we'll be sure that temptation will be looking out for us. It'll come find us. And I'm just telling you, you can be doing everything right. I, you can leave You can leave this house of God today. You might have been in the altar this morning or in the altar tonight. Your heart is clean for God. Uh, you're, you're close to God. Your life is right with God. And the second you walk out of this place, or maybe even before you do, temptation might come strolling up to find you. You don't have to go looking for it. It'll come looking for you. We need to, we need to teach our young people in particular this principle and this truth. that It, it ain't that they got to do something wrong. Uh, for temptation to find them. It's just going to find them. It's just going to come looking for them. So I see how it starts. I see the prompting. And then look at verse 10. The Bible says this, And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her 
or to be with her. I, I notice not only how it starts, the prompting of it, but I notice how it speaks, the persistence of it. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, every single day she'd come and find Joseph and she'd, she'd speak to him. She'd want to sit and just talk. Ain't no telling how many marriages have been ruined by folks just talking. Just talking. I say, why, preacher? Because pretty soon they ain't just talking. She just want to talk, Joseph. That's all. Just want to say it. I, I, I just, I just, we, we're friends, ain't we? We're friends. And, and I just want to talk. And she'd speak to him day by day, moment by moment, persistently. She wouldn't leave him alone. Can I tell you this? Hey, listen, the devil ain't going to leave you alone. Can I, can I give you a little practical advice? I know that's what you love, right? Hey, if, if you're a man on a public job and some woman wants to speak to you all the time, you better run from her. You better run from her. She, she is not fascinated with your exuberant and brilliant personality. I hate to break it to you. And if she won't leave you alone, there's a reason for it. Hey, ladies, ladies, if that fella always wants to talk to you, just, just, we're just friends. We just want to talk. We just want to talk. We just want to talk. Listen, if you're married, you pledge yourself to God. You pledge yourself to your husband. He can find somebody else to talk to. I, I'm just telling you, ain't no telling how many marriages have been ruined by that talking. Just wanting to be friends. Just wanting to talk. Uh, yeah, and listen, I've never known anybody step out with someone that they didn't talk to first. You say, what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying every single one of those situations started as just talking. She'd just be in his way, just be in his path, just, just going to talk to him. But you know what I noticed? It's the persistency of it. She spoke to him every day, Brother Ken. Didn't let a day pass that she didn't speak to him. And I got news for you. Temptation ain't just going to leave you alone. I, you say, but preacher, I resisted it. Good, get ready. There's another volley coming. It, there will always be more temptation. I, listen, I wish I could tell you. I, I, I wish it was just like the chicken pox, right? You just get it and then it's gone and you're immune. I, I wish I could just tell you that we could, you, you're going to be tempted once and that's it. And then you found the secret sauce and you can just get by it and never have to worry about it again. But that's not the truth of the matter. It will come back. It will come back. It will come back. It will come back in your life. Don't think just because you whooped temptation once that you ain't going to have to whoop it again. It'll be consistently back. And then I notice this. Look at verse 11. Now this is interesting to me. The Bible says, And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And notice this. Now before, here's what it says. Remember in verse 10, it says that it came to pass that she spake to Joseph day by day. She just spoke to him. But in verse 12 it says, And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. I... I, 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 I. <laughs> I don't want to necessarily imagine how this unfolded, but I can say this. Uh, it must have been a shock to Joseph. This was, this was an escalation of her interest in him. She had always in passing just spoke, just spoke, just spoke. But now she gets physical and she grabs him by the garment. But you know what she does? She waits until there's nobody else in the house before she does it. It tells me this, she was watching him. And I would say it this way. I see how temptation starts, the prompting of it. I see how it speaks, the persistence of it. Then I see how it stalls. I see the praying of it. She is hiding around a corner just waiting for him to go walking by so that she could grab hold of him and get his attention and so that she could try to press the issue. She was just waiting for the perfect opportunity. It wasn't Joseph that knew there was nobody in the house. So how do you know, preacher? Because he wasn't in the house. It wasn't like he pulled up in the driveway and saw if anybody's chariot was parked there. There wasn't no way for him to know who was or was not in the house. But she knew who wasn't in the house. And she was stalking him looking for a moment of weakness, a moment of opportunity 
in which she could try to ensnare him. You know, that's how temptation does. It will wait until you are at your weakest. It will wait until you are at your lowest. It will wait until you are at your most vulnerable. You say, now preacher, how could a man combat such a thing? Well, it's real simple. we got one in, in us that never grows weak. We've got one in us that's never blind or dumb or stupid or dazzled by the, the, the flashiest uh, shimmering thing. We've got one in us that will always tell us the truth. The Spirit of God lives within us and He'll tell us when danger is around. And he'll guide us and He'll lead us. We in and of ourselves may not have the wisdom. Just to be honest, most of us don't. But the Spirit of God does. So He'll lead us, He'll guide us into all truth. So I see the process of temptation. Then notice with me the proper response to it. It's real simple. Uh, Joseph does four things. And I think this is what we need to do when we're faced with temptation. First, I notice his refusal. Verse number 8 says this, but he refused. He refused. I'll tell you this, as long as you... If you're ready to discuss it, it's a done deal. If you're ready to discuss sin with the devil, if you're ready to discuss sin with whoever it is trying to get you in sin, it's already done. It's already over. You've done lost the battle. If you don't have the firm resolve of mind that you're not going to let the devil get a, get an inch in your life, if you don't have that, the battle's already lost. Far too often we want to sit down at terms with Satan. But the truth is, every white flag he flies is nothing but a false flag. He has no interest in bartering and negotiating with you. He wants your whole life and nothing else. So you know what our approach needs to be. Just in our mind, it needs to be refusal. Uh, so often we will we will bounce back and forth and negotiate and waver in our mind about what we would or would not be willing to do. And if we do that, that, that battle over temptation, that thing's already lost. We might as well go ahead and nail it down in our mind. I've met plenty of people in my life bound and determined to not sin that did sin. That I would say this, you don't have to have a question about it. Go ahead and determine not to sin. It's the best chance you got. It's the best chance you got. As long as it's still a negotiable thing to you, then I promise the devil will win that negotiation. So I see his refusal. Number two, I, I notice his recognition of the aftermath. Now notice what he says in verse number eight. He refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You know what Joseph recognized? He recognized just what how destructive his sin would be. He says, listen, uh, everybody in this house is looking to me. I, I, I'm, I'm the master of this house except for Potiphar. Everybody's counting on me. Everybody's dependent on me. Now, I don't think he was, I don't think he was trying to prove anything to her. I think he was trying to remind himself, if I go down this path, I'm going to tear apart this whole household, including the man that's been good to me and that has took care of me. It is amazing the suspension of recognition that is possible in the human heart as regards the consequences of sin. And every one of us is guilty of it. It is amazing we can, we, we can, we can see sin destroy lives. We can watch it take its toll on us. But in that heated moment of temptation to sin, whatever sin it may be, we, our flesh can do mental gymnastics to make us forget just how destructive that sin will be to us. I've sat and I've watched husbands weep. I've watched wives weep. I've watched kids weep in brokenness over the sin that they've committed. And they've all said the same thing. I was just so stupid. Why did I do it? Why did I allow this? Why did I engage in this? And they'll say things like this. 
I knew better. I knew better. You know what they did in that moment of temptation? They pushed that knowledge out. Joseph, you know why he, you know why he escaped? Because in that moment of temptation, he didn't push that knowledge out. He pushed it to the forefront of his mind. And he said, think about all the people whose lives it would destroy if I commit this sin. I, I see his recognition of the aftermath in his life, but not only that, I see his recognition of the aftermath against and with the Lord. He says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now here would be the average modern Christian way of thinking would be, well, you know, God put me in this situation so it ain't no big deal. But that's not what Joseph says. Joseph says, God has perfectly positioned me to be an influence and I'm not here by accident, I'm here by providence. And how could I dare sin against the God that loves me and cares for me by engaging in this sin? Now somebody out there, I know, somebody out there is thinking, oh preacher, well you're, you're so righteous, you've never sinned. No, I ain't saying that. I, I've sinned more than I care to admit. I, I, I sin more frequently than I, than I want to acknowledge. But I'm just saying, if we're going to resist temptation, this is how we do it. We recognize that it's not just those that we love we're sinning against. We're sinning against an almighty God that loved us and gave His Son to die for us. I see His recognition of the aftermath. But then I want you to notice His resolve to avoid her. Verse 10 says, This came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her. Now, of course, we'd expect him to do that. But then notice this next phrase, or to be with her. In other words, he avoided her. He said, listen, evidently I don't need to be around her because if I'm around her, it's going to lead to something inappropriate. It's going to lead to something wrong. I'm, I'm going to just eschew her. I'm just going to avoid her because the greatest way to not fall into temptation is to not walk close to the edge of it. I, you know the story, Brother Ken. I know you do in the New Testament about the man Eutychus that fell out of the window when Paul was preaching. And I won't preach that message tonight, although we'd need to hear it every now and then. But I won't preach that message tonight. I'll just make this statement. Uh, why was he the fellow that fell out of the window? Because he was the one sitting in it. If we're sitting on the edge, we shouldn't be surprised before the one falls out of the window. I'll tell you this, the best way to avoid temptation is deep now. You ready? Put on your chest waders. This is deep. You ready? The best way to avoid temptation is to avoid temptation. The devil don't need no help doing his job. Go ahead and, you know, Paul said it this way, we're to give none occasion to the flesh. Our problem is, man, we give, we give the flesh all these opportunities and then we're just plumb shocked whenever we fall into temptation and when we do wrong, when we do unrighteous. We're just shocked by it. Why would we be surprised by it? You live that way, you're tempting fate. And you are exposing the vulnerability of your infirm flesh. It won't be long before you'll give in. So he did the right thing. He, he resolved to avoid her. And the Bible goes on to say how she just respected that decision and left him alone. And, and uh, he went on to be Potiphar's servant for many, many years. Isn't that what your Bible says? No, that ain't what my Bible says. My Bible says this, that one day she caught him and she pressed the issue. And Joseph said, I cannot do this. I will not do this. The Bible goes on to say, and he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. Sometimes the only thing left is to get out. That You say, preacher, it'll cost me something. I mean, that's my job. I can't quit my job just because somebody's interested in me. Joseph quit his job. I'd say he probably knew that there wasn't no taking three, four days vacation coming back after this. 
He left. He said, preacher, you don't understand. This person's my friend. I've known them since grade school. They're, they're, they're my friend. I, I, I ain't going to do that to them. They're, they're my friend. I don't want to blow up a relationship. I mean, that'd be silly. Joseph did. He knew he was either going to destroy his relationship with God or he was going to destroy his relationship with Potiphar and Potiphar's wife. He chose to save that relationship with God. I, at least I'm just saying, here's what he did. He run off, right? He ran away. He said, I, I, I'll, I'll lose whatever i got to lose before I lose my testimony with God. I'll give up anything. I'll give up everything. You see, that's what it takes. It takes a man that values his, his relationship with God above anything the world has to offer. That man becomes the most righteous and the most powerful man to walk God's earth. A man that says, I'll give up everything this world has to be righteous with God, to stay in good standing with Him. Joseph ran away. He gave it all up. He said, Preacher, you, you don't understand what it'll cost me. Well, let's just go ahead and lay it out there. Joseph spent the next 12 years in prison for this decision. I don't know what you think it's going to cost you, but I'd venture a guess it ain't going to cost you what it cost Joseph. Do you know later on at the end of his life, he says this about the men that had done evil towards him. He said, you know, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. It don't sound to me like Joseph had any regrets at the end of his life. It don't sound to me like he's saying, well, you know, I'm glad all God's done for him, but I'm still kind of bitter about those 12 years I spent in prison. No, Joseph counted the cost and he says, God's worth more than the world and its pleasures. And because of that, here's a man that resisted temptation. Well, notice, notice here with me, and, I, and I'll close now. Notice not only, and this is what we've looked at. You know it, you, you were here for the sermon, but, but we've looked at the place of temptation and the process of temptation and the proper response to temptation. Notice finally with me the product of resisting temptation. Now I wish I could tell you that Potiphar comes home and, and Joseph tells his story and she tells her story and he says, you know Joseph, Yours has the ring of truth. And he boots her out on the street and Joseph becomes a, a, a well-loved and, and revered servant and, a, and, and maintains that place in Potiphar's house. But that's not what happens. The Bible tells us, and I won't take the time to read it tonight, but you can read in verses 13 through 18. You hear what she does. Second, Joseph is gone. She starts screaming and wailing and crying. The men run into the house and she says, this Hebrew that Potiphar's brought in, he tried to abuse me. He, he came in, he mocked me and she tells every lie that she could tell on him. And you know, that's amazing to me for this reason. She didn't have to say anything. Joseph ran off. She could have took his coat, throwed it in the fireplace, and when Potiphar came home said, where's Joseph at? She could have said, I got no clue. But she didn't. She went out of her way to try to destroy Joseph. It's a reminder to me, you say, preacher, what's going to happen when I resist temptation? Well, number one, you're going to be hated by the wicked. There's going to be people that your, your very virtue indicts them and they're going to despise you for it. This is the reason when people commit to live for God, you'll see the forces of hell stand up against them is because it reminds those people that they're not living right and they don't like that. Ain't nobody wants to be reminded they ain't living right. And you know why she did this to Joseph? She did this to Joseph because she's spurned. She's hated. She, she, she was embarrassed. She was humiliated. And she was offended that she did not have the ability to master him and have control over him. And she despised him for it. She resented his commitment to God. I'm just telling you, you, you resist temptation. There's going to be some folks going to hate you for it. There's going to be some folks that are going to despise you for it. There's going to be some folks that are going to mock you for it. Isn't it ironic? And this is just the MO of the devil. The MO of the devil is accusing everybody else of doing what he himself does. 
And she says, this, this Hebrew servant came in to mock me, but it's her that's mocking him. It's her that, she said, he came in to try to destroy me, but it's her trying to destroy him. Just go ahead and just mark her down. You'll be hated by the wicked if you resist temptation. Number two, I notice this down verse 19. It says, it came to pass when his master, that's Potiphar, heard the words of his wife which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me that his wrath was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. I see he was hated by the wicked, but I see he was spurned by the world. Potiphar. And I, and I don't know but what I think Potiphar probably believed him. He said, why do you think so, preacher? Because if I'd been Potiphar and if I'd believed my wife, he wouldn't be sitting in the king's prison. You wouldn't never find him. I, I think, and by the way, Potiphar, that, that Joseph is Potiphar's slave. He had every right to kill Joseph. But he didn't. He puts him in the king's prison where the king's prisoners are, are kept. I sort of think he believed him. But here's what he recognized. Now Joseph was an inconvenient guest in their home. And so what he did is he said, if you're going to make it uncomfortable, Joseph, I'm sorry. You're just going to have to go stay down at the prison house. You know what you'll find? You'll find that the world is not interested in people that resist temptation. It don't make you cool. It don't make you in vogue. Uh, it'll, it'll get you mocked. It'll get you scorned. It'll get you spurned. It'll get you treated as though you are irrelevant. But I just say this. I, please, Lord help me not say this in the wrong way. I'd rather have what a Bible Christian has than what the world has. I, and, and you say, well, pretty... I'm saying this, when I look at the world, man, I look at the divorce rate, I look at the, the, the abuse, I look at the drugs, I look at the alcohol. I'd rather not be cool the way they're cool. I'd rather be righteous with God. That's just, I'm, I'm just telling you, I, I don't, and I, I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm better than nobody, but I'm just telling you, if, I, I'd like to be irrelevant as far as the world is concerned. I, I want them to consider me out of vogue and out of step and old fashioned and boring and everything else. Because I've seen what they think is exciting, and I don't want none of that. I don't want none of that. So I, I see, I see that he was spurned by the world, but it doesn't end there. Notice it goes on, verse 21 says this, but the Lord, man, I love that, but the Lord. Potiphar did all this, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Let me just make a little statement here. Ain't no situation so bad that God can't bless it. I said there's no situation in our life so bad as far as unpleasant, but what God can bless it. God blessed him in the pit. God blessed him in Potiphar's house. God blessed him in prison. And if you read on in Joseph's life, God blessed him all the way up to the palace. God just kept on blessing Joseph. You know, you'll find if a man will resist temptation, he'll be blessed by the Lord. He'll be favored by God. Now, God loves all of us. But He bestows His visible, tangible, observable blessing and favor upon the lives of those that live in obedience unto Him because it's an endorsement of righteousness. Not of the righteous, but of righteousness itself. And that's why no matter where Joseph found himself, God favored him. God blessed him. You know why? Because Joseph made his life blessable before the Lord. If you'll, listen, it, it may not please the world. It won't impress the world. Uh, but it'll please God if we resist temptation. God will be pleased with it. You know, the book of Hebrews says it's Him, Brother Ken, with whom we have to do. The end, at the end of the world, I, I hate to tell you this, but you are God's creation and you got more to do with Him than you do with anybody else. He's the Creator. He's the one you're going to answer to. So you better make sure that you're square with Him.
that you're righteous with Him. So I, I see that He was blessed by the Lord. But you know it don't end there. Let me notice this one final thing and I'm done. Verse 22 says this, And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. So, so what's the product? What did Joseph get out of this? Well, he was hated by the wicked. Uh, Potiphar's wife tried to destroy him. He was spurned by the world. Potiphar said, we can't keep you around the house no more. You're an inconvenience. we got to get rid of you. He was blessed by the Lord and praise God for it. If we'll live for God. God will bless us and He'll be good to us. In light of that, but then I notice this, he was considered by the witness. Here's this, here's this uh, prison keeper, here's this warden. And you know what he does? He sees Joseph. He knows, he's sharp enough to understand that Joseph's not done anything wrong. Because if he had, Potiphar would have killed him. He knows the score. He knows what's happening here. But you know what he does? He watches Joseph, though his life has been destroyed once again, only because he did the right thing. Joseph keeps a good spirit good attitude and says, well, here I am. What can I do to be a help to you, sir? How can I minister to you? What do you need out of me? I'm sure the warden probably looked at him and thought, what's wrong with you, boy? Aren't you angry? Aren't you mad? Aren't you Aren't you bitter over what's happened? I can just hear Joseph saying, you know, I, I, I'm not happy about it, but ain't none of this surprised God. And God's been good to me. If I if I had if I had what most people got, I would have never got out of that pit. I would have been back there and dead, and and probably deserved it. But here I stand by the grace of God. So, sir, I'm okay. Don't you worry about me. What do you need out of my life? That jailer began to say, "Man, there's something different about this guy. There's something different about him. He has done nothing but right and been treated nothing but wrong, but he still chooses to do the right thing." even when it's not easy, and even when it doesn't get him anything. Evidently, there's something about this guy. Evidently, there's something real about him. I would say this, there's always people watching us. How we live, how we behave. They're always watching what we do, what we're willing to do, what we're not willing to do. I've said it, I've probably said it a dozen times today. We're not an island under ourselves. People are watching our life. And I wonder what they're seeing. I wonder what they're saying. There's a lot of reasons to live for the Lord. There's a lot of reasons to resist temptation. Chief of which is we owe it to Christ. He loved us. He gave Himself for us. But I'll tell you another good reason is this. Because there's a world watching how these things called Christians, how these folks called Christians live. They're looking at your life and mine and deciding what they believe about our Christ, about the Lord Jesus by how we live, how we conduct ourselves. He said, preacher, you don't understand. The world hates me. I know the world hates us. Preacher, you don't understand. I've been spurned by the world. I'm hated by the wicked. I'm so persecuted. Listen, I understand it, but understand this too. There's some folks that are empty inside looking for something real and they're watching you to see how you're going to live and how you're going to react. You know, God used this, by the way. Joseph would go on to meet a baker and meet a butler and hear about the dreams that they had had. And, and through that, he would go not just to Potiphar, a governor, but he would go all the way into the presence of Pharaoh himself. And he would interpret those dreams. God used this lowest of low places to elevate Joseph to a place of great honor and of great privilege and power. But you know, none of that could have happened. None of that could have happened if he had not resisted temptation. It's amazing. We might look at it and say, why, preacher, it's just a little sin that I committed. But I wonder what big things it's derailed that God wants to do in our life. It may look small now, but if we could look at it through the life of Joseph, we'd see that sometimes even those small moments where we choose to do right are the very things that God uses to do great things in our life.
Let's bow together tonight. I wonder if God spoke to you. If He has, I want you to speak to Him. Let's have a musician come to play. And I'm done with the preaching tonight, but I don't know that the Lord's done. I trust He's not. If God's spoken to your heart, I think you ought to meet Him down here. Might be something in your life that you need to get straight, that you need to get dealt with. Might be some area of temptation that has dogged you that you need to resolve afresh and anew that you'll not allow it any place. You know, or it might not be any of that. It, it might be that you've been living for God, but you know temptation lurks on every hand. And there might be nothing you've been dealing with lately, but you'd say, Preacher, I, I know it's coming. I know it'll happen. And I want to be ready when that time comes. Whatever it is, won't you meet God in this altar? Why don't you deal with Him about it? Father, bless this invitation. May Christ be magnified. We ask it in Jesus' name. Melissa plays. The altar's open. If God has spoken to your heart, won't you find a place down here? Won't you let God have His will? Let Him have His way in your heart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.